Book Six, Chapter Two of Henrietta Temple. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Andrus. Henrietta Temple by Benjamin Disraeli. Book Six, Chapter Two. In which the reader is again introduced to Captain Armine during his visit to London. Miss Grandison had resolved upon taking a house in London for the season, and had obtained a promise from her uncle and aunt to be her guests. Lady Armine's sister was to join them from Bath. As for Ferdinand, the spring had gradually restored him to health, but not to his former frame of mind. He remained moody and indolent, incapable of exertion, and a prey to the darkest humours. Circumstances, however, occurred which rendered some energy on his part absolutely necessary. His creditors grew importunate, and the arrangement of his affairs or departure from his native land was an alternative now inevitable. The month of April, which witnessed the arrival of the Temples and Lord Montfort in England, welcomed also to London Miss Grandison and her guests. A few weeks after, Ferdinand, who had evaded the journey with his family, and who would not on any account become a guest of his cousin, settled himself down at a quiet hotel in the vicinity of Grosvenor Square, and not quite alone, for almost at the last hour Glastonbury had requested permission to accompany him, and Ferdinand, who duly valued the society of the only person with whom he could converse about his broken fortunes, and his blighted hopes without reserve, acceded to his wish with the greatest satisfaction. A sudden residence in a vast metropolis, after a life of rural seclusion, has without doubt a very peculiar effect upon the mind. The immense population, the multiplicity of objects, the important interests hourly impressed upon the intelligence, the continually occurring events, the noise, the bustle, the general and widely spread excitement, all combine to make us keenly sensible of our individual insignificance, and those absorbing passions that, in our solitude, fed by our imagination, have assumed such gigantic and substantial shapes, rapidly subside, by an almost imperceptible process, into less colossal proportions, and seem invested, as it were, with a more shadowy aspect. As Ferdinand Armine jostled his way through the crowded streets of London, urged on by his own harassing and inexorable affairs, and conscious of the impending peril of his career, while power and wealth dazzled his eyes in all directions, he began to look back upon the passionate past, with feelings of less keen sensation than heretofore, and almost to regret that a fatal destiny, or his impetuous soul, had entailed upon him so much anxiety, and prompted him to reject the glittering cup of fortune that had been proffered to him so opportunely. He sighed for enjoyment and repose. The memory of his recent sufferings made him shrink from that reckless indulgence of the passions, of which the consequences 
had been so severe. It was in this mood, exhausted by a visit to his lawyer, that he stepped into a military club and took up a newspaper. Caring little for politics, his eye wandered over, uninterested, its pugnacious leading articles and tedious parliamentary reports, and he was about to throw it down when a paragraph caught his notice, which instantly engrossed all his attention. It was in the morning post that he thus read, The Marquis of Montfort, the eldest son of the Duke of Blank, whose return to England we recently noticed, has resided for several years in Italy. His lordship is considered one of the most accomplished noblemen of the day, and was celebrated at Rome for his patronage of the arts. Lord Montfort will shortly be united to the beautiful Miss Temple, the only daughter of the right honourable Pelham Temple. Miss Temple is esteemed one of the richest heiresses in England, as she will doubtless inherit the whole of the immense fortune to which her father so unexpectedly acceded. Mr. Temple is a widower, and has no son. Mr. Temple was formerly our minister at several of the German courts, where he was distinguished by his abilities and his hospitality to his travelling countrymen. It is said that the rent-roll of the Yorkshire estates of the late Sir Temple Devereux is not less than fifteen thousand pounds per annum. The personal property is also very considerable. We understand that Mr. Temple has purchased the mansion of the Duke of Blank in Grosvenor Square. Lord Montfort accompanied Mr. Temple and his amiable daughter to this country. What a wild and fiery chaos was the mind of Ferdinand Armine when he read this paragraph. The wonders it revealed succeeded each other with such rapidity that for some time he was deprived of the power of reflection. Henrietta Temple in England. Henrietta Temple, one of the greatest heiresses in the country. Henrietta Temple about to be immediately married to another. His Henrietta Temple, the Henrietta Temple whom he adored and by whom he had been worshipped. The Henrietta Temple, whose beautiful lock of hair was at this very moment on his heart. The Henrietta Temple, for whom he had forfeited fortune, family, power, almost life. O oh, woman, woman, put not thy trust in woman. And yet, could he reproach her? Did she not believe herself trifled with by him, outraged, deceived, deluded, deserted? And did she, could she love another? Was there another to whom she had poured forth her heart as to him? And all that beautiful flow of fascinating and unrivalled emotion? Was there another to whom she had pledged her pure and passionate soul? Ah, no! He would not, he could not believe it. Light and false Henrietta could never be. She had been seen, she had been admired, she had been loved. Who that saw her would not admire and love? And he was the victim of her pick, perhaps of her despair. But she was not yet married. They were, according to these lines, to be soon united. It appeared that they had travelled together. That thought gave him a pang. Could he not see her? Could he not explain all? Could he not prove that his heart had ever been true and fond? Could he not tell her all that had happened, all that he had suffered, all the madness of his misery, 
and could she resist that voice whose accents had once been her joy that glance which had once filled her heart with rapture and when she found that ferdinand her own ferdinand had indeed never deceived her was worthy of her choice affection and suffering even at this moment for her sweet sake what were all the cold-blooded ties in which she had since involved herself she was his by an older and more ardent bond should he not claim his right could she deny it claim what the hand of an heiress should it be said that an armine came crouching for lucre when he ought to have commanded for love never whatever she might think his conduct had been faultless to her it was not for henrietta to complain she was not the victim if one indeed there might chance to be he had loved her she had returned his passion for her sake he had made the greatest of sacrifices forfeited a splendid inheritance and a fond and faithful heart when he had thought of her before pining perhaps in some foreign solitude he had never ceased reproaching himself for his conduct and had accused himself of deception and cruelty but now in this moment of her flush prosperity esteemed one of the richest heiresses in england he ground his teeth as he recalled that phrase and the affianced bride of a great noble his old companion lord montfort too what a strange thing is life proud smiling and prosperous while he was alone with a broken heart and worse than desperate fortunes and all for her sake his soul became bitter he reproached her with want of feeling he pictured her as void of genuine sensibility he dilated on her indifference since they had parted her silence so strange now no longer inexplicable the total want of interest she had exhibited as to his career he sneered at the lightness of her temperament he cursed at her caprice he denounced her infernal treachery in the distorted phantom of his agonized imagination she became to him even an object of hatred poor ferdinand armine it was the first time he had experienced the maddening pangs of jealousy yet how he had loved this woman how he had doted on her and now they might have been so happy there is nothing that depresses a man so much as the conviction of bad fortune there seemed in this sudden return great wealth and impending marriage of henrietta temple such a combination so far as ferdinand armine was concerned of vexatious circumstances it would appear that he had been so near perfect happiness and missed it that he felt quite weary of existence and seriously meditated depriving himself of it it so happened that he had promised this day to dine at his cousin's for glastonbury who was usually his companion had accepted an invitation this day to dine with the noble widow of his old patron ferdinand however found himself quite incapable of entering into any society and he hurried to his hotel to send a note of excuse to brook street as he arrived glastonbury was just about to step into a hackney coach so that ferdinand had no opportunity of communicating his sorrows to his friend even had he been inclined End of book six chapter two